Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, imagine this. Okay, it's the middle of July, and the uh, coronavirus, hopefully, has run its course. And so you decide to head out to Wrigley Field to watch a Cubs game. You jump in your car, you drive to Wrigley. Uh, when you get there, you buy yourself a dog and a Coke uh, for $27.95, maybe. And then you find your seat and you get out your scorecard because you're going to track each batter as, as he comes up. But before the game starts, an incredible announcement is made over the PA. Okay, they, they say today what we're going to do, we're going to open the team up. It's no longer going to be nine professional baseball players on the field. We're inviting any one of you who wants to participate to come and join us. So if you brought a glove with you, you know, tell us whether you want us to put you in a shortstop or left field or, or wherever. And we've got a baseball bat for you. We'll put you into the batting order. You know, th this, is, this is incredible. The ball team is no longer professionals. The ball team is anybody who wants to participate. Now, as crazy as this sounds, something similar took place on October 31st. 1517 in a German university town called Wittenberg. There was a Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther went to the center of town, found the church, and nailed to the door of the Wittenberg church 95 revolutionary ideas. This was the beginning of what later became known as the Reformation. The Reformation was the overhaul of the church. And one of the things that was determined during this, this overhaul is that the wall needed to come down that divided professional clergy, priests, from just regular Christ followers. And one of the favorite verses uh, during the Reformation was 1 Peter 2 verse 9, which calls every follower of Jesus part of the royal priesthood. The royal, we're all priests if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no longer a role for pastors to play. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, a pastor's job of a local church is to equip the people of the church to do the work of the ministry. So we're all ministers. The pastor is an equipper, but we're all ministers. We're all priests. We're all called to pray for each other and to share the gospel and to teach God's word and to meet one another's spiritual needs and so on. This game plan has become known as, at least in Protestant circles, as the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Now, why this history lesson today? Well, we're in the third week of a five-part series in the New Testament epistle of Colossians. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Colossians. As I said last week, the, the blessing of doing this online is that if you don't have a Bible, Bible immediately beside you, you can leave the room you're in for a moment, grab your Bible from your office at home or your bedroom or wherever and open it up and follow along. And as I said during my prayer, not everything in this sermon is going to be applicable to the crisis that we're in, but quite frankly, we, we all need just a little bit of uh, relief from the ever-present coronavirus, and we just need to push roots down into Scripture, and some of what we learned today is going to be applicable more when things return to normal. Uh, 
So we're going to take a look at this passage in Colossians 1. This is a Lenten series. It's intended to prepare us for upcoming Holy Week, for Good Friday and Easter, by focusing on Jesus, which is why we're calling this series Christ Above All. And today we come to a passage beginning at Colossians 1, verse 24, where the Apostle Paul describes his own calling. He describes his own ministry in the lives of Christ followers who resided in the ancient city of Colossae. So it would be easy for us today to dismiss this passage as being nothing more than Paul's autobiography. This is Paul telling us about his life. It's a blast from the past. And wasn't it commendable for the Apostle Paul to pour himself out on behalf of these poor Colossian Christ followers? See, that's what clergy did in the ancient world. You know, apostles, pastors, people like that. Now, now maybe, maybe Pastor Jim, maybe the professional staff of Christ Community Church, maybe they'll get something out of this passage for their ministries, but It's not for the rest of us. Oh, wait just a minute. What about the priesthood of all believers? See, if every Christ follower is now called to ministry, if we're we're all supposed to get out of the grandstands and onto the playing field, then the things we learn about Paul's ministry in today's passage should be applied to every believer who's listening right now. You get it? I couldn't hear you, but... I hope you said, got it. Today we're going to consider three aspects of the priesthood of all believers from Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 through Colossians 2 verse 5. Here's the first. And you will find this outline if you haven't located it already. You could go to the Christ Community Church app, the free app on your phone, and you could look at sermons and you'll see the outline and you could even take notes as we go along. So the first aspect of the priesthood of all believers, number one, the priority of the church. Let me read to you the opening verses of today's text, beginning at verse 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant I've become the church's servant, Paul says, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Let's stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You know, Paul considered it to be an amazing privilege to serve the church. And so should we. The priority of the church You know, one of the things that has uh, graded on me just a little bit during the course of uh, the ban that they put on public gatherings and whatever is that I will hear an official uh, refer to the canceling of all public gatherings that are unnecessary, such as church services. Now, I, I understand that You know, those officials are not trying to insult the church by calling our gatherings unnecessary. But, you know, there's just something about hearing the word church and unnecessary in the same sentence that bugs me a little bit. And, And even though officials aren't intending to insult us, I know that in our culture today, there are many who feel that the church is just not important. It's irrelevant. Okay, it's It's irrelevant. If, if you have nothing else to do on your weekend, then, you know, go ahead and join a church and go to its services. 
but certainly the church as an organization is not as important as schools, as government agencies, as businesses. And the Apostle Paul would retort, you're absolutely wrong. The church is the most important organization on the face of the planet. I mean, the, 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 the church redirects people's eternal destinies. You know, the, the, the church shapes people's lives. It shapes their character. It uh, helps to restore their marriages. It, it breaks people loose from addictions. You know, the, the church promotes justice. The church extends compassion. The church brings hope in times of crisis. I mean, for goodness sakes, the church is the only organization that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life for. You know, when Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be reconciled to God, it was so that he could add people to his body, the church. The church. You know, I got a really great Instagram, saw a great Instagram from my daughter Emily this past week. Uh, Emily's husband is a pastor of a church in Vancouver, Washington, a city of a little over 150,000 people. And their church owns a building in downtown on Main Street, Vancouver. It used to be a JCPenney store. And this past week, Emily went to the building and she climbed up to the roof. You could get through a little trap door and be on the roof. And she was up on the roof with her baby, little eight-month-old Xander. And she was watching the sunset. And here's what she had to say. We'll put the picture uh, on your screen here. She said, had a quick second to snuggle my warm babe and prayed over the city and the people here, standing on the roof of a church whose purpose is to be the non-anxious presence of Jesus in this place. I love that. The church, the non-anxious presence of Jesus in this place. That's what the church is in our world, friends. It's nothing less than the presence of Jesus. You know, that's why the church was such a huge priority in Paul's life and should be in ours. You know, that's why Paul loved to serve the church, and so should we. Now, I want you to see in Colossians 1, I want you to see the primary way in which Paul served the church, because this is still central. This, this is still central to how churches like Christ Community Church are best served today. Go back to verse 25. Paul says, I have become its, meaning the churches, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me, now listen, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Central to Paul's ministry and to the ministry of every Christ-honoring church is God's word. You know, this is critical for Christ followers to be instructed in Scripture, in the Bible. Drop down to verse 28. I want you to see three words that Paul uses to describe the ministry of instructing people in God's Word. Okay, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the one we proclaim. That's the first word I want you to note. And if you've got your own Bible with you, this is a place where you want to circle the word proclaim. He continues, admonishing and teaching, those are the next two words, admonishing, teaching, circle them, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Okay, Paul wants to grow people up, spiritually speaking, and his primary tool for doing that is God's word. 
And Paul uses God's word in three ways. The first, he says, is by proclaiming it. Now, now the verb proclaim refers to presenting the basic good news about Jesus to others. Okay, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus has come to rescue us from sin and death. See, our sins have separated us from a holy God. And the bad news is, uh, when you get separated from the one who is the source of life, God is the source of life, to become disconnected from God is to experience the consequence of death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. So when Jesus came to earth, his mission was to give his life, to die, to die the death that we deserve to die, to pay sin's penalty. And after Jesus did that, he was raised from the dead, and he now offers forgiveness and life to everyone who will surrender to to him. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Paul loved to proclaim, in which we, every one of us Christ followers, every one of us priests, are now called to proclaim to others. Go back to verse 28. What's the second verb Paul uses to describe what he does with God's word? First word, proclaim it. Second word, he talks about admonishing. Now, we call this today, we call it butt-kicking, right? I mean, sometimes God's word gives us a much-needed kick in the bridges. It warns us about bad behaviors you know, that we, we need to be on the lookout for in our lives, You know, it tells us where these bad behaviors are going to lead if we don't do something about them. It tells us that on a daily basis we need to confess our sins, our wrongdoings to God and receive fresh forgiveness and fresh cleansing. You know, this is admonishing. This is what God's word does. It admonishes us. Now, let let me give you a picture of what this looks like. Okay, in my men's community group, Uh, This past Wednesday, Uh, we could no longer meet at our coffee shop. Our coffee shop was closed down. So one of the guys had a key to an empty office space. And so we met at the office space. I suppose this week we're going to have to meet on Zoom, okay? But we were meeting, physically meeting, together this past Wednesday. And each of the guys in my group were following the Bible-savvy reading schedule. So every day when we read, we keep a journal and we write down an insight and an application for our lives from that reading of the day. And then when we get together on Wednesday mornings, we pool our insights. And so one of the things that we had pulled out of 1 John chapter 3 was that in the life of a Christ follower, we should not continue in patterns of sin. That was 1 John 3. He says genuine Christ followers don't keep on sinning. So a little bit of butt kicking's going on here as I asked the guys the question. I said, so men, what, what sin in your life has persisted for far too long? I mean, what is it you need to say no more, stop to? You need to repent of it. You need to ask God to forgive you and, and, and move on. Now, I wasn't sure whether anyone would have the courage to answer that question, but everybody did. You know, that was a time of admonishing from God's word. So you got proclaiming the word. You got admonishing with the word. The the third way that Paul uses God's word to serve others, to minister to others, go back to verse 28, was by teaching. Now this is a positive word. You know, it describes communicating the truths of God's word in such a way that scripture shapes people's lives. Look again at the closing, closing line of verse 28. 
You know, Paul says that he hopes to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, drop down a few verses. Our our passage continues into the opening verses of Colossians chapter 2. So look at verse 2. He says, my goal is that they, he's talking about the people he teaches God's word, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know, they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Wow, Paul really wants his Bible teaching to impact people's lives. He wants to encourage them, he says here, and to motivate them to love others and to make them wise and to deepen their relationship with Jesus. You know, you've heard me say many, many times that the the goal of our Bible teaching around here is not just information, it's transformation. It's not just information, it's transformation. We're not just trying to cram our heads full of Bible knowledge. We want God's word to shape our lives. When I was a boy, my parents brought me every week to Sunday school at church. And one of my favorite activities at Sunday school was called Bible Baseball. So there would be two teams. We'd divide the kids up and we'd be on either side of the room. And in the the middle of the room would be four chairs set up in the shape of a baseball diamond. So one chair for first base, second base, third base, home plate. When it was my turn to bat, I would go sit in the home plate chair and I would ask the Sunday school teacher to pitch me either a single, double, triple, or home run. So if I got it right, I got to go to that base. If I got it wrong, I'm out. Now, I got to tell you, I was pretty good at Bible baseball. You know, for some reason, I got a brain that registers trivia. So I, I had an impressive batting average, if you would. But all that Bible knowledge made absolutely no difference in my life. All that Bible knowledge made no difference in my It wasn't until I went away to college and I surrendered my life to Jesus when I began to, to understand that the purpose of Bible teaching is life change. The purpose is life change. Now, l- let me summarize what we've learned so far in our study today of Colossians. Okay, the church is the most important organization on the planet, bar none. Okay, and that's why it should be a priority in every one of our lives. And the most important way in which the church serves us is by instructing us in God's word. And that's why we will, come, we will continue to do these broadcasts, come heck or high water, because we need instruction from the scripture. And this is why I challenge you to stay connected to God's word. Stay connected to God's word. You know, what? One of my favorite emails from this past week, and I got a number of uh, really encouraging texts and emails, and uh, one of them came from a young woman who attends NIU. She goes to our DeKalb campus, and she's not only a student at NIU, she's a soccer player there, and now because the school is closed down, she is at home in Cincinnati with her family. She wrote to me this email. Let me read it to you. She says, I grew up in a Catholic household, my parents still attending Catholic church. However, this morning, church was closed for them. 
So I invited them to watch the live stream from Christ Community Church with me. My whole entire family, my parents, my brother, my three sisters, my dog, LOL, all watched the service together. We sang together in worship. All of my sisters and my mom had Bibles out. I had never experienced church like this with my family. You know, after the service, we had an amazing conversation about our faith. It was the first time I had ever had an open conversation like this with my family all together. And even though I'm deeply saddened by the fact that I can't be at school playing soccer right now, I am so thankful for the live broadcast that CCC did so that my family could all come together and worship and have conversations about our faith in ways we never have before. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, Christ Community Church is a priority in this young woman's life. And the, the best way in which we serve her is through the instruction of God's word. And I want to emphasize here that I'm not the only one at Christ Community Church who serves you in this way. I mean, to some extent, every one of you who is a Christ follower, you are called by Jesus to serve his body by imparting God's word in some way to others. Priesthood of all believers. You know, some of you do this by leading community groups. And I just want to say thank you, community group leaders, especially those of you who are scrambling right now, trying to figure out how to keep your group connected, especially while we're all sequestered to our homes. You know, go online. Go to our, our homepage, ccclife.org, and tap on community groups. We've got seven or eight suggestions as to how you can do this. And by the way, I want to thank those of you who are just members, not leaders, but members in community groups who prepare your lessons each week. You spend time in God's Word so that when you gather together with your brothers or sisters or mixed group or other students, you've got something to share, something with which to encourage them from the Scripture. And I want to thank those of you who are Kids World teachers, who when our church is open, you instruct our children in the truths of God's word. Thank you. And I want to thank you moms and dads who while we're closed down, you are the primary spiritual mentors right now. Thank you for taking seriously the Kids World materials that we're posting online that you, you, know, you can go look at and then you could have Kids World with your family. Thank you for being a spiritual leader in your home at this time. I mean, th thanks to everyone at Christ Community Church who plays any role at all in helping us shape one another's lives with God's Word with scripture. We're all priests. You know, the priesthood of all believers. Number two. Number one is the priority of church. Number two is the pains of doing ministry. So let's go back to the first verse of today's scripture passage, Colossians 1 verse 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Doing ministry was not easy, to put it mildly, for the Apostle Paul. And it won't be easy or convenient or without cost for us. But we're called to be priests. We're called to serve others. 
Now, before we consider the pains, what the pains of doing ministry might look like in our lives, let let me explain one of Paul's lines in the verse I just read to you. Go back to verse 24, middle of the verse. Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, what is Paul talking about here when he refers to Christ's afflictions? Is Paul talking about Jesus' death on the cross? I mean, Jesus died to pay for our sins. Is is Paul suggesting that when he personally experiences pain and suffering in ministry, he's helping Jesus to pay for people's sins? No. No, what, What Jesus did on the cross to provide us with salvation, it's a done deal. I mean, Jesus did it all. There's absolutely nothing we can add to his work. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, Jesus has done all the heavy lifting when it comes to our salvation. So in what way was Paul participating in Christ's afflictions? Let me sum it up this way. When we serve others it often costs us something. Okay, when we serve others, it may cost us time, it may cost us money, it may be physical effort or emotional energy that gets spent. Well, our lives, now listen, our lives are so closely connected to Christ. I mean, he lives in us if we've surrendered ourselves to him that that Jesus actually experiences whatever pain we're going through as we serve others. Let let me give you a biblical illustration of what I'm talking about. Okay, when when Paul first became a Christ follower, before he became a Christ follower, he he was a violent man. He persecuted followers of Jesus. He loved to round them up, you know, get them thrown into prison, even executed if at all possible. So on one occasion, Paul is headed on his donkey to the city of Damascus to do his dirty deed, to find Christians and harass them. But along the way, he encounters the risen Christ. So at this point in time, Jesus has been raised from the dead and exalted back to the right hand of God. It's the risen Christ who addresses Paul in a brilliant light that knocks Paul off his donkey. He's on his face in the dirt and he hears Jesus say, Saul, Saul, which was Paul's pre-conversion name. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus, not directly. He was persecuting Christ's followers. But evidently, Jesus is so closely united with his followers that when his followers get persecuted, it's as if Jesus himself is experiencing their pain. You know, Jesus is so closely united with us that when something happens to us, Jesus himself experiences it. So when we're doing ministry, when we're serving others and it causes us pain, guess what? We are filling up the afflictions of Christ. That's what what Paul means when he uses that expression in verse 24 of Colossians 1. And then Paul continues this same thought that doing ministry can be costly. Down in verse 29. Let me read the opening of verse 29 to you. Paul says, To this end, okay, to the end of serving others, 
I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. We're going to keep reading into the next chapter, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Now, Paul uses a couple interesting words in verse 29 to describe how tough doing ministry can sometimes be. He says, I strenuously contend. Now, if you've got your own Bible, this again is where you mark it up. Circle the word strenuously. Put a little note out in the margin of your Bible in the Greek text in which this verse was originally written. The word strenuously meant to labor at something to the point of exhaustion. In fact, it was sometimes used to, to speak of taking a beating strenuously. And the verb contend here, I strenuously contend, it's the Greek word from which we get our English word agonize. It was often used in the world of sports in Paul's day. So you got a long distance runner who is agonizing as he runs toward the finish line of his race. Or you got a, a, a boxer who agonizes as he gets pummeled and refuses to go down. This was what doing ministry often entailed for the Apostle Paul. I strenuously contend. You know, on numerous occasions, and you could read this in a list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's, it's so crazy bad, it's, it's almost humorous. Paul says, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked, I was thrown in prison, I was robbed by bandits. You know, I've been half starved from lack of food. Paul took a licking and kept on ticking. So now who wants to sign up for a ministry like that? I mean, who, who wants to serve others if, if that's what it costs us? The priesthood of all believers. Well, fortunately, doing ministry is rarely, if ever, as painful for us as it was for the Apostle Paul. But the question we need to ask ourselves, friends, is this. Are we willing to accept even a little bit of pain or hardship? Are we willing to accept even a mild inconvenience in order to do ministry? You know, I, I, I love the video that we showed you before the sermon. You know, about a woman named Marina. Marina is part of our, our Streamwood campus. You know, what, what an incredible story. Here she, she's in the hardware store one day, and over here is a guy talking about his wife who's gone through surgery, and, you know, he, he's got needs, and she volunteers to come over and cook for him. That took time. That took energy. And then, and then you saw her wrapping up bread that she had picked up, the leftovers from Panera repackaging it so it could be dropped off at the local food pantry, gathering neighbors to help her do this. Again, there's some cost involved. And I, you know, I just, I, I want to say, even though we can't do ministry like that right now while we're under quarantine, so to speak, you know, when it's lifted, God calls us to serve others in whatever ways we can, to look for ways of doing ministry. I just, I, you know, I want to thank, Marina, you're inspiring to me, but I also want to thank everybody around Christ's community church who serves because you're an inspiration to the rest of us. So thank you, those of you, you know, who, who serve as zone hosts, making people feel welcome in our, our services. Thank you. 
You know, those of you who show up at Care Night on Tuesdays, you know, during the year, I, not right now, but who care for people who are going through hurting times, thank you. You know, those of you who volunteer in our office, thank you. Those of you who work to mentor middle school students at Genesis, thank you. Those of you who stand outside in all sorts of weather, uh, working with the traffic on weekends, thank you. Those of you in our worship band, thank you. Those who work tech, thank you. I know you probably don't experience pain while doing ministry, but you are willing to live with some inconvenience. You are willing to carve out time to do what a lot of people are not willing to do. This is the priesthood of all believers. Thank you for the way that you serve, the way that, that you do. I want to say especially thank you to those of you who are paying a price right now to be givers during this time. I, I've been up front with you. This is a time when a church gets hammered financially. And this week, we let you know how, how important it is for you to move your giving if you're not already an online giver to become an online giver and to give as generously as possible. And many of you moved over to online and you've been giving generously. Within 24 hours of making that announcement, I got two texts the first day from people who said to me, I just want you to know I'm not only going to be giving online, I'm going to up my giving from what it's been. I recognize not everybody can do that. But thank you for those of you who are willing to pay a price to do the work of ministry. I, I was sitting on the sofa in my living room on sa Sunday afternoon this past week. This was after a pretty exhausting week trying to figure out how to do church in a uh, season of coronavirus. Uh, I, was, I was blasted. And so I had buried myself in a book. I'm just going to lose myself in a novel. And Sue came by and she said, hey, I could use some help. She was headed out the door to do some spring cleaning in our garage. And then she was going to move out to the yard and do some work in the yard. And she said, could you help? And very reluctantly, I got out of my sofa seat. And I was reluctant. To be honest with you, it wasn't the physical tiredness. It was the malaise of this whole thing we're going through. You know, just the weight of the fears and, you know, what's gonna, what are we going to hear next? I mean, we're, we're being told now this is not the end. I mean, we're not even to the middle. We haven't even hit the peak of this thing yet. And so sometimes you, you just want to wallow in this. And I wanted to sit on the sofa and suck my thumb. And my wife is saying, can you help me? I got up and I helped Sue, and you know, two hours later, after working in the garage and working in the backyard, I said out loud, I said, this has been the best therapy for coronavirus blues. It's therapeutic. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're called to be one of the priests and the priesthood of all, all believers, you look for ways to do ministry, and, and when you do ministry, guess what? When you do ministry, it's like spiritual endorphins get released, okay? It lifts your spirits. This is what Christ has called us to. Number three, we've looked at the priority of church. We've looked at the pains of doing ministry. Number three, 
What does the priesthood of all believers look like? Well, the portrait of diversity. Go back to Colossians 1. We're going to pick it up at verse 26. Uh, Paul is in the middle of a sentence, okay? He's been talking about his role of teaching God's word in verse 25. And he says now that one of the topics he loves to teach about, look at the beginning of verse 26, is the mystery. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, to Christ followers, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did you circle the word mystery twice in those verses? What does Paul mean by this word mystery? Well, Paul doesn't use the word mystery in the same way that we use it today. You know, when we, when we talk about a mystery... We, we often have in mind a whodunit novel or, uh, or movie. You know, Sue and I like to read out loud to each other, and we'll often read mystery novels out loud. We'll, we'll pause in our reading and we'll say, so who do you think is the murderer? You know, whodunit? This is not how Paul uses the word mystery. And he doesn't use the word mystery like the heretics of his day who were operating in the city of Colossae disturbing the Christ followers there. Okay, these heretics were teaching bad theology. We talked a little bit about this two weeks ago. It was the beginning of a heresy later known as Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word knowledge. knowledge. The Gnostics taught that if you want to move through the, the doorway into a relationship with God, you needed to know the secret password. You, you needed some special knowledge, okay? You needed the initiate's handshake, the secret handshake, as it were. Paul's not using the word mystery like that. It's not like we use it today. It's not like the Gnostics use it. So what is the, what is the, the mystery according to Paul? Here's what it is. It's something that God has kept under wraps. He's kept hidden for a period of time, but now he's revealing it. God has kept it hidden, but now he's revealing it. So it's nothing puzzling. There's nothing puzzling, nothing secretive about it. It's now out in the open for everybody to see. So what is the specific ministry, mystery rather, that Paul loves to tell others about in his New Testament epistle? What, what is the truth that God has kept hidden for a while, but is now revealing, uh, not only through the Apostle Paul, but through every Christ follower? Here's the truth. The truth is that the Savior whom God promised to send the world in the pages of the Old Testament, that Savior is Jesus. That's the mystery revealed. And it's not, he's not only intended to be the Savior of God's Old Testament people, the Jews, the mystery revealed is that he's also a Savior for everyone who will surrender to him. Now, this mystery wasn't a complete surprise to many of Paul's first century uh, listeners. If they had read the Old Testament, they know that God had said through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus that the coming Savior would be for everybody. I mean, listen to these words from Isaiah 49, verse 6. God is speaking to the Messiah whom he is about to send into the world. And God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore only the tribes of Jacob and bring back only those of Israel I have kept. No, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so Israel's Messiah 
the Old Testament promised Savior would not only be for Jews, he would be for everybody. But there was more. There was more to this mystery than God revealed through the prophet Isaiah. See, God waited 700 years after Isaiah. God waited until after Jesus had come to reveal the icing on the cake of the mystery. Do you know what the icing was? The icing is that Jesus, the Savior, has not only come to rescue non-Jews as well as Jews, he is also making those he rescues into one. Into one into one diverse but unified people called the church. That's the mystery. Now, this was pretty hard for first century Jewish Christ followers to swallow. I mean, they didn't mind it if God wanted to rescue people who were different from them. They just didn't want to get thrown together in the same group with these other folks. But that's what Paul taught. That's the mystery he revealed in verses like Ephesians 3, verse 6, where Paul writes, this mystery is that through the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Are you following this? You know, maybe maybe an illustration would help here. Back in 1953, the Reverend Billy Graham, world-famous evangelist, he was holding a public meeting in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when he got to the stadium, the arena where the meeting was going to be held, he discovered that they had set up ropes. There were roped-up areas for black attenders. Okay, so the, the white folks who had hosted this conference, the nice Christian white folks, they didn't mind at all if black folks wanted to come to this big meeting as long as they stayed in their own section. Well, Dr. Graham would have none of it. He ordered that the ropes be taken down. In fact, as the story goes, Billy Graham actually took down some of the ropes himself. But when he left, the uh, white ushers began putting them back up. Mr. Graham had had enough. He brought together the leaders of this big meeting, this stadium event, and he said, either the ropes go or I go. You know, the ropes disappear or I disappear. And so the ropes came down. And this was the first time that a mass meeting of this size was integrated in the South. Okay, friends, this is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, a cross-section of people, all of whom have surrendered their lives to Jesus, as diverse as the community in which their church is located. So for Christ Community Church, what does that mean? Four campuses. In communities where our campus congregations are going to be for the most part white, but there is going to be a growing percentage of Hispanics and some blacks and Asians and other races mixed in as well as our communities become more diverse. And what this means for us as a church is that, you know, we're not content just to have people different from us attend our services. We invite them to participate, to be mixed in, to be mixed in at leadership levels, to be mixed in in the worship band that appears on the stage, to be mixed in in every area of ministry. You know, the mystery is a portrait of diversity. 
the body of Christ. You know, this means that on occasion, you know, we're going to do like what we did a couple of weeks ago. We may sing a chorus. One of our worship choruses was sung in Espanol because we know that Spanish is the heart language of a growing percentage of people who attend our church campuses. It's not that they can't speak English, Though in some cases, you know, many of them bring non-English speaking relatives with them and we're soon going to be providing translation. We hope within the next year that we'll provide English translation to our sermons. But it's because we want them to feel this is not only our church, this is their church too. It's, It's for all of us. You know, if you're part of the priesthood of all believers at Christ Community Church, I hope you share this vision with us of the the church we desire to be. And I, I pray that in your personal lives as Christ followers, priests, you know, that you will work hard to build relationships with people who are different from you. You know, in times of crisis, we have an ideal opportunity to do this. Let me challenge you to reach out to the hurting people in your neighborhood, especially those people who are dissimilar from you in race, in age, in economic status, in health risk category, and so on. The priority is the church, the most important organization on the planet. You know, the pains are associated with doing ministry. It's going to cost us something to do ministry, to serve other people. You know, by the way, one of the, the easiest ways to do that, maybe may the only way to do that, over the next several weeks is on the phone. But there are people who need a phone call in the middle of the day just to unisolate them. So call a neighbor, call a friend, call somebody in your community group. The portrait is of diversity. Now, in just a moment, we're going to close in prayer. And then as we typically do to end our services, we have this opportunity to be givers. There will be no offering bag again. But you, you will have an opportunity to go to your laptop, to go online and to push give and to become a regular giver. You know, so push recurring gift and it'll walk you through those steps. And if that's confusing, there's actually a tutorial on the, uh, on the front page as well, on our homepage. Now, we've been asking you every day at noon to pray the Lord's Prayer. So if you haven't set your, your alarm on your clock or... Uh, on your, your watch or your phone, I encourage you to do that. Uh, Sue and I did it today at noon, and I want to invite you to do that with me right now. Uh, let's all pray the Lord's Prayer together. Would you pray it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.